Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. McCall, helping you take control of your health. And we have a, an unexpected pleasure to, uh, for you today. We've been able to connect with Ed Dowd. And uh, I suspect most of you have heard of him. He's come to prominence uh, recently in the last year or so. Uh, and uh, he's not really in the health field, but he's a, really an expert in the finance field. And he is a graduate, so to speak, of the BlackRock Institution, which is uh, one of the, I think they're the largest uh, asset manager in the world. At, I think over $10 trillion, but you can certainly up that. Ed. And just let me finish and your bio and then we can go into details. But because uh, I really want to know some of the details of the BlackRock and, uh, you know, why you went there and things. But, but as a result of that, I mean, I don't think you can get a finer uh, education and experience in the finance of, than with BlackRock. And you left them and you basically went out and helped many people understand some of the collateral damage that's occurred as a result of these, these COVID jabs. And you've been shockingly um, courageous about it. I mean, not only are you're one of the smartest guys I've seen in finance, but you're because you are able to articulate these concepts and put them together in a way that's understandable to people, which is so deeply appreciated. But you, you're you're taking a I perceive a big risk, and we'll talk about that because I'm I, I'm a personally a little concerned about your your security as what what you're exposing that they're not they're going to want to take you out for what you're doing. So anyway, I think why don't we start at the um, the beginning? You know what what cat what motivated you, catalyzed your entry into finances and, and then ultimately BlackRock and describe what you did there and then why you left. Sure. Um, basically, I was always interested in finance uh, right out of college. I, yeah, I read the book Liar's Poker, uh, mm-hmm. which was supposed to be a, a warning uh, but I, I, I thought it was great. I'm like, oh, that's, I could become a master of the universe and make a lot of money. <laughs> so I, I was, I was younger and had a different mindset. Um, and so I, I, uh, after college, I went to uh, HSBC and got a job as an institutional fixed income salesperson selling bonds, which is what Liars Poker was about. And that was a five year education in what, really happens in the capital markets and everything you learn in the textbooks is, is hooey and garbage. Okay. So basically um, the capital markets are a place where, uh, and the debt markets overwhelm the equity markets and the debt markets are the engine of the monetary system. So I learned about finance. I learned about wall street and how it worked and how it was incentivized. And back when I was a bond salesman, it was the, uh, it was from 90 to 95. And there were a bunch of scandals then. There's always scandals on Wall Street. And uh, Wall Street is basically a boom and bust operation. Uh, you know, there's uh, usually a boom created by the Federal Reserve that, um, you know, puts uh, money into the system that then uh, gets, they, they don't control where their money goes. And Wall Street takes advantage of that. And usually it ends in fraud. And 
the scandal in the early 90s was um, uh, some of the fraud with the mortgage-backed securities, uh, Piper, um, I forget the name of the firm. Uh, there, was a, there was a big Wall Street firm that went under uh, because they had some trades in the drawer. Computer systems weren't as robust. So some traders were hiding uh, losses and that, that firm went uh, belly up. Um, interestingly enough, BlackRock at the time uh, helped uh, uh, fix that problem. Uh, they, had a, they had computer systems that uh, helped analyze the mortgage-backed securities. Uh, was that Larry Fink's Aladdin? Larry Fink, yeah. Is this his Aladdin system? His Aladdin system, correct. Yeah. And oh, it, um, it's really morphed over the last decade. Yeah, it's yeah, it's more it's morphed, and um, it's you know it's. I, I have a lot of friends um, who used to work in the Aladdin department, and you know it's it's not it's not rocket science. It's just risk management software, basically. Um, and they did a good job of selling it and uh, getting a lot of people to use it. So, you know, that's what that's what uh, a good business person does. And Larry Fink is a good businessman. Um, he's good. He's good at growing his firm. And he did. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I learned I learned how, the engines of Wall Street, but I wanted to get into the stock business. So I went back to business school at Indiana University and then went to uh, out of out of uh, graduated in 97, went to Wall Street, went to Donaldson, Lufkin and Genrette where I was an electric utility analyst down the hall from the internet folks who were uh, doing all the IPOs. Um, uh, the and basically, <laughs> yeah, uh, and basically the fraud on, on the IPOs was at, at every investment house. And it, it wasn't hard fraud, it was soft fraud. They just were not doing due diligence that the, that the institutions used to do. They used to do, you know, before they would IPO a company, they would, make sure that the company had things like revenues, you know, <laughs> and uh, that, that kind of in the, in the late nineties, I went by the wayside. So a lot of firms without revenues and just ideas were IPO'd. They, the stocks went up. So everyone thought everything was great, but they went up because of speculation and easy money. Um, and eventually the fed, um, the fed uh, did what they do. They um, tightened uh, interest rates and uh, the bubble popped and, a whole host of uh, corporate fraud was exposed, WorldCom, Enron, um, Lucent Technologies, Nortel Networks. It was, you know, a, a, a economy that was based on Y2K and, and, and a new paradigm. And a lot of junk bonds were raised and equipment and software was sold to companies that didn't have revenues. And so the cycle did what the cycle did. We had that bust and they, the Fed printed dollars again. And uh, we had the real estate um bubble, which unfortunately went onto the bank balance sheets. And that's where we had the systemic crisis and the great financial recession. And I saw that coming with my, with my colleagues and we steered our, I was at BlackRock at the time. I went to BlackRock after uh, Wall Street and I wasn't at BlackRock. I was purchased by BlackRock. I was at a firm called uh, State Street Investment Research. And oh. they, yeah, we were their first asset management purchase and we became, um, you know, instrumental in their equity business. And then they ended up buying Merrill Lynch Asset Management, then Barclays. So BlackRock grew through acquisition, uh, oh, mostly. I did not realize that. Okay. Yeah. And, so, and they got into the passive uh, uh, ETF business through Barclays, and that's where all the trillions of dollars of growth has come from. So the reason I'm so intrigued, and I think most people are with BlackRock, is uh, it's very clear they appear to be part of the global cabal. 
uh, and what's behind what's happened to us the last two years. I mean, it's, it, how could they not be with $10 trillion under assets? So uh, wonder what your take on that, because you, you're really uh, insightful as to the, the underpinnings of what's the financial system. Well, the, um, I can't talk per se about BlackRock because I signed a non-disparagement oh, agreement yeah. when I left, but I can talk about Blackstone. I can sure. talk about Vanguard. Um, these are uh, Vanguard is a similarly sized institution, and I I don't I don't believe that they control you know these corporations, but they have you know undue influence, which uh, Charlie Munger of mm-hmm. Berkshire Hathaway has written about, and basically because of the growth of passive ETFs, the voting of those shares goes to the senior executives of the firm. Uh, and so there is some influence uh, at Vanguard over the, the voting of, of the board, uh, some of the board votes. And Charlie, uh, it used to be back in the day before pa- passives became uh, such a big part of the industry, most of the money in equities was managed by um, fundamental portfolio managers. So I used to vote for the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, because we were so busy, we had like 80 companies in our portfolio. There was a firm called Institutional Shareholder Services, ISS, which would help us figure out the votes. And, you know, it was a software system that, you know, would analyze all the proposals and then, you know, tell us how to vote accordingly. And if we wanted to withhold a vote or change a vote, we would. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there, there seems to be a concentration of um, power in the votes. The votes used to be more spread out over many, 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 many different people. So, But what about the ownership? Because we've run articles of this in the past where I believe it's BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street own like, appear to have interest in almost every single company around. And uh, the BlackRock, I suspect, it seems, I believe is a public company. So the, the shareholders are, you can find out it's public, but Vanguard is not, I understand it's private. So, and, and, and it's my memory, but certainly correct me if, if I've got this mistaken, but Vanguard was a huge share component of, of BlackRock. So between the two of them, they, they seem to have control of most of the, the companies out that are that are in the country and even worldwide well they don't control um you gotta remember what vanguard and blackrock are they are uh agents so they they manage other people's money but Mm -hmm. they do vote uh some of the you know board the shareholder board proposals so it's not they don't they don't you know get on the phone and call uh borla Mm -hmm. advisor and say do what we say it's more soft uh influence and 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 because i'm no i haven't been a flower for like 10 years i couldn't tell you um what's going on there and i couldn't tell you what's going on in vanguard but i, I do believe i mean it's concentration of, of market share vanguard mm-hmm. and blackrock are the biggest passive investment asset management firms so charlie munger had a point that it's too much decision making uh in too few hands now I, I don't think they run the companies. I don't think they they sit in in um board, you know in in a smoke filled room with cigars laughing maniacally. But you know where where there's a concentration of power, there's there's definitely um, things that can go awry uh, and 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 aren't exactly um, above board. But 
I, I have no proof of that. Okay. It just, it just, when power is concentrated, bad things usually happen. Yeah, thanks for your insight or insights on that. Uh, the other question I'd like to dive into before we start going to the, the impact that COVID has had and which the, the data that you've been able to, to bring to the forefront would be uh, what seems to be a mathematically inevitable collapse, financial collapse. It, it's just been fraud upon fraud and they just seem to be kicking the can down the road that inevitably it has to collapse, which is you know, leading many people to speculate of the inevitability of the Great Reset. But, and I think a large part of that is related to the derivatives market. Um, and I don't quite fully understand how that works, but I, I think it's in the quadrillions that, that, that really is maybe not, not accounted for, but that is out there that could, could essentially buckle. So what, what's your take on this? And I, you know, I think it's important because it does uh, weave into what some of their plans are to, to implement is, is, is clearly one of the, the black swans on, on, on the horizon is a, a, a financial or economic collapse. And I'm just thinking, just wondering what your thoughts are on you know, this, this inevitability of the collapse. Or are they just going to get able to? There's so many of us who thought this was going to happen much sooner than it did. But they, they're so clever. They're so sophisticated. They just have such a powerful grasp and control of the whole system. It's just, it's just shocking what they're able to do. So you, you have be- far better insights than I do. So, you know, let's think about the dot-com fraud. That was corporate mm-hmm. fraud. And, and, and the Federal Reserve System was created in 1913, and it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a debt-based monetary system. So money is created through debt. And uh, the, the, you know, in the old days, banks used to lend the debt and, and, and the debt would find its way to different uh, areas of growth, which would then get overheated and fraud would be the inevitable result because money was too easy. So it's kind of the system itself is inherently fraudulent. Um, not it's not again, it, it was more um, a free market fraud, just kind of, you know, rolling around. Um, so in the, in the late 90s, we had corporate fraud. And that, 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 you know, we had a 50% stock market correction. We had 9-11. We had a recession. And so the Fed did what they always do. Um, they turned on the money spigot, lowered interest rates, and the money uh, found its way into the real estate market. And that blew a bubble. And then that went on. Uh, uh, and that was, you know, real estate was being hypothecated through collateral uh, debt obligations and mortgage-backed security. So Wall Street had a great party. <clears throat> they, um, you know, levered up 20, 30 to one on their balance sheets to make money. Um, they thought the party would go on forever. And uh, then um, inevitably, uh, you know, the Fed started to raise interest rates and it collapsed. Now, the problem with this bank fraud was that it was systemic in nature. So the central banks had to step in and buy a lot of this fraudulent debt. And recall, not one banker went to jail. So after the great financial crisis, not one banker went to jail. So all this fraud remains today on the Fed's balance sheet and the, you know, the Bank of Japan's balance sheet and the European Central Union's balance sheet. So the fraud didn't go away. It just became um, uh, on the balance sheets of the central banks. And they, you know, they, to, you know, to quote unquote, save the system, um, and then the governments in the great financial crisis, because you know the economy collapsed globally, they started spending like drunken sailors. So the last 12 years has been um, a ballooning of what I call the central bank 
government bubble, the, the sovereign debt bond bubble. Mm -hmm. And so inevitably the system, it's got, you know, who's going to save that? Who's going to be the buyer of that when that blows up? No one. So we knew most of us in the financial community knew this bubble would burst. And we were trying to figure out when, like you said, a lot of people thought it would happen sooner. Um, in 2019, um, it looked like it was going to uh, blow up. There was a uh, repo crisis. There were strange things going on in the credit markets. The global economy was definitely rolling over. And then conveniently enough, COVID appears. And the reason why that's important is because when COVID appeared, it gave emergency powers to all the central banks. The government spent like drunken sailors again, and it gave them another two years to kick the can down the road. And here we are in 2022, and it's unraveling again. And the reason why COVID was important, the, the Federal Reserve was able to, what I call, plug the hole in what was beginning to become a um, liquidity debt crisis. And they printed 65% uh, more money. Uh, M1, the money stock, went up 65% year over year in 2020. And that was able to paper it over. And, and, and then the, you know, the economy was not, um, the economy was shut down. That's, and it was an external shock, not an internal shock. So when they reopened and with all the money in the system, we had, we had kind of an, a recovery for a year and a half. Stock markets went crazy, credit markets went crazy, and we went back up again. But here we are two years later, and the inflation uh, caused by um, uh, the bad policies of the Biden administration, the EU, the uh, money uh, growth has led to what I call, and also COVID broke a lot of supply chains. And, I, and I'll talk about disability and how this fits into the, right. into the inflation picture. But um, basically, we, had not, we had, hadn't had inflation in goods and services for the last 12 years. We had inflation in, in assets, stocks and bonds. And so what's gone on now is the, um, the real economy is feeling the effects of the inflation, the bad policies. And uh, we're starting to see the U.S. dollar go up. And the U.S. dollar is a reserve currency of the world. And over the last um, 22 years, there's been uh, a tremendous growth in what's called uh, dollar-denominated debt. So the credit growth in, that we had in the U.S. went overseas after uh, the dot-com bust. So we have about 15 trillion in uh, uh, dollar-denominated debt. So when you see the dollar going up, that's indicative of a debt crisis because money's becoming tight. There's fewer dollars out there. there people are scrambling for dollars. And the reason why I think we're imminently going to collapse is we've never seen mm. uh, a commodity inflation cycle with the dollar going up at the same time. Usually they're inversely related. The dollar goes down and commodity prices go up in, in commodity cycles. This is the first commodity cycle since we uh, created the petrodollar where both have gone up in tandem, which says to me, this isn't so much a monetary, I mean, there's some monetary phenomenon in the, in the inflation. It's mostly supply side shocks. It's uh, bad energy policy. And then you can make the case that it's intentional um, because it's, the policies are so bad that they're, they're, they're shutting down energy production. And before the uh, Ukraine war, um, you know, Biden's first executive order on day one of his administration was to shut down the Keystone pipeline. So there, there, here we are. I, I think we're at the end. And COVID... Did, did a couple things. COVID provided cover for the central banks and the, and the governments, but it also allowed for a control system that you need. If, you're gonna, if, the, if everything's going to collapse, wouldn't it be nice to have a control system where 
travel's restricted, you can blame it on a virus. You create vaccine passports, which then get linked to digital IDs and then central bank digital currency. So I think it was kind of a, it, you know, COVID was a convenient excuse. We can get into the debate about whether it was created or not. We, no, we no, we're, 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 we're all on the same page. I mean, I, yeah. I was announcing that literally in uh, 2020, 2000, like early February, 2020. And of course received a <laughs> platforming uh, decredentializing for that. Right. And, and, you know, look, as time rolls on and the vaccine programs continue to be um, out there, uh, given all the evidence we have of what the harm is and it's, it's, it's increasing, as we roll through time, I'm starting to think this was a plan. I don't have evidence, but, you know, the fact that we're not stopping what's going on uh, suggests to me that there's just too many, um, it's a conspiracy of interests and they don't wanna stop the rollout of these vaccines. And, and the longer this goes on, the more convinced I become that COVID may have been a plan. What so, I used to say it was a convenient excuse, but uh, you know, the, the longer this goes on, the, the more ridiculous this becomes. I, I think there was ill intent going on. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence to suggest, that, to suggest and support that. So I'm really curious as to what your prediction is of what this collapse will look like. And, and you said it's imminent. So I'm wondering if you can also provide a time frame on it. It's a, is it like a two to three, five-year time frame? I, I don't think it, it doesn't seem to be this year or maybe early next year. I think it's further down the road, but what's your, what's your take on it? Well, I, I, I've, I'm, I've been saying six to 18 months to 24 months. Oh, we're wow. going we're gonna to see financial. Not, it won't be a, a complete collapse, but there'll be an initial collapse. The central banks will come in and try to take more power, do some things, uh, and then we'll keep. What, I think we're what, gonna is have that, a, what, what does that look like? What does the central bank's grab for additional power look like? So the, uh, if, if the stock markets become seriously unhinged, which I think they will, mm -hmm. um, and we start getting declines of um, more than 40 percent, mm -hmm in the index indices, then that, the, you know, they've been floating the idea for the last several years of buying stocks outright. Right now, the Fed's not allowed to do that. And once- I thought they did that through BlackRock. No, 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 no. The Black, BlackRock, again, BlackRock is not a leveraged institution. They, they're an agent. So that all that money is literally in the pension funds and okay. um, 401ks. So- when if the when the because the bank of Japan currently buys um, Japanese stocks, mm -hmm. and if the Fed starts doing that, then we have what's literally called neo feudalism. Um, people that are in the well, it's, it's already occurred, but it'll become even more ridiculous. There's no market mechanism to um, punish anybody for making bad decisions. They're going to be bailed out their bad decisions are bailed out by the central banks. So the moral hazard is so high that if you just are a C-suite executive at a major uh, Fortune 500 company, you're gonna become phenomenally wealthy and not have to like really be good. And you're gonna be one of the lords uh, and the workers and everybody else are gonna be struggling you know, to make it, make ends meet. And that's kind of what's been going on for the last 12 years. Um, the, the economy, for the most part, has been an economy uh, of the big and those close to the printing machine. If you work at a big hedge fund or you're on Wall Street or um, you're 
a C-suite executive where you're able to issue options, you become phenomenally wealthy. If you're at a venture capital firm or a private equity firm, anybody that touches money um, and is close to the printing press, what you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a cabal. But if you're just close to it, you've been rewarded. If you're like trying to actually create a small business, if you're a worker at one of these co- corporations and you don't get a lot of stock options, you're you're not getting ahead. Everything's become more expensive, especially healthcare, college, housing. Now we have goods and services and fuel prices rising, which is a problem. Yeah. So what's your projection? I mean, you gave us some insights on what the technical or logistical implementation would be with the the central banks buying up the stocks. But what happens to the the average person in the street as a result of this collapse in the next year and a half to two years? Well, so I don't I don't know for a fact they're gonna buy stocks. I predict they'll yeah, it's they'll a, try. one of the options, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think technically um, it looks like we're setting up for a correction to begin sometime this fall. We already uh, we, we saw the top of st- of the US stock market in January. We've had a nice little summer rally, which I was expecting. And um, commodity prices peaked uh, in June. And we're thinking that the Federal Reserve is uh, making a policy error, raising into a recession that's already occurring. They've never done that. This is the first time when they've actually raised interest rates while a recession is is on is starting to begin. So we think it's going to become very apparent to the capital markets very soon that the real economy is imploding. Um, the New York Empire Manufacturing Index was minus thirty six percent. That just got reported this week. That's a disaster. So. Anecdotally, on the island of Maui, uh, I have friends that run small businesses. One of them is a moving company. Um, summer is their big busy season. They're down 35, 40% from last year. And mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not looking good. So we, we all have anecdotal evidence that the, the real economy is imploding. And the capital markets will figure that out soon enough. Yeah, just curious as a side tangent, but I'm wondering how it is in, in Maui. Uh, it's my understanding that that was one of the more progressive states, very comparable to California or New York, where they were imp- implementing these really strict mandates and uh, guidelines. And, uh, you know, um, is that, is that your, been your experience? And is, you know, what, yeah. So, so little, little history on COVID in Maui. Um, COVID, I believe, was on Maui in the fall of 2019. Everybody around me was getting sick with this really bad bug mm-hmm. that they couldn't shake. And, and, it, and it took them out for weeks. Well, I, um, I didn't know because I think the first case reported in the U.S. traditionally was in Washington in January of 2000. Right. But it, it was it was here on Maui. Wow. And, and but no one because the media hadn't you know made anything about it. People just thought it was a flu. And, it, you know. They just got on with their lives and there was no fear. Um, then uh, we had 800,000 tourists come to Maui between uh, January and March before the lockdown. Mm-hmm. And then we had the lockdown and there re- really weren't any COVID cases on the island of Maui. Compared, mm. I, I, did, I, I don't remember the math I ran, but we were way lower than the rest of the nation for 2020. And I think it's because um, the first wave came and we built up natural immunity. So we didn't get, people said it's because of the lockdowns. I, I don't believe that. Um, so COVID. It's, it's probably a large result of the sunshine. <laughs> the sun exposure right. got there. Right. 
and most most of my friend group, we didn't know people who had COVID. Roll out, roll into 2021 and the vaccines. All of a sudden, COVID starts coming to Maui. You roll into 22, COVID's everywhere. I mean, it's wow. a disaster here. Yeah, wow. I I, fi- I finally got COVID um, on July 4th, and I, you know because I'm you know I'm knowledgeable of all the um, protocols. I went on the uh, you know the protocols, the hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, z pack all the vitamins, and I had a sore throat, and I was over it in five days. That's was it. That, so was that was shortly after you got your jab? <laughs> I never got it. I never got a jab. I just give me a hard time. Yeah, I I was so when when they when they implemented all the uh, mandates, um, they shut. I mean, you had to get, to get into a restaurant. You needed a vaccine oh, passport yeah. to, to to go to a gym. To, so I. Uh, I you know, this is how I got involved in this fight and became more elevated. I, I'm just, I was suspicious of the jab from the get-go because I, I knew two things. Uh, Operation Warp, anything sounds like a disaster, okay? <laughs> that, okay that, I mean, seriously. And number two, that it was experimental. And I knew that uh, most vaccines, because of my Wall Street background, took seven to 10 years of safety data to be vetted before they were put into people's arms. So I just thought everybody would be, you know, like me, rational and not take it. And then when I saw the propaganda machine, when I saw mm. the, the social pressure, I knew something else was afoot, that something was going on. And that's when I got super involved. I, I started going to rallies on Maui. I started meeting like-minded people. And, and that's how I got hooked up with Dr. Malone here on Maui. And my voice has been elevated by him. And, you know, now we're, we're I'm part of the crew that's trying to expose this uh, crime. And when I met him in um, uh, October of 2021, uh, I, I told him that I would be monitored. I, I had a suspicion there were lots of bad things going on with the vaccines because I'd heard anecdotes. And we saw the VAERS data. Um, and this is before the DOD leak. But I said I would be monitoring the insurance companies and funeral home companies. And if, if my thesis was correct, they'd show up in those results. And sure enough, they did. Hmm. That's that's this that is true science. You make a prediction and you observe the reality <laughs> rather than create it. Exactly. And and I wanted to use um, non-government databases because we were able to get some CDC data that showed the same thing, but they've now compromised the CDC data in the, in, uh, the last couple of months. They're um, supposedly upgrading some servers and reloading which, the 20. 20- which, data, which data is that? The CDC all-cause mortality death data. Oh wow! There's oh yeah, manipulating that too. Oh they my! Just start, well, they, they started that. They, they started have that. To, otherwise, otherwise, the fraud's going to be exposed. Correct. They have the, no choice. The UK, the UK ONS data is still being published and is quite good. So we're analyzing that now. And it, what we're seeing is basically into the fall of 2021, um, there was. The insurance companies uh, reported 40% excess mortality, which if you know anything about insurance and actuarial math, it's, it's, it, you can't even, a, a 10% all-cause mortality rises once in a 200-year flood, 40% is off the charts. So it was, it statistically just was insane and, and, it, and it didn't affect old people. There was a huge mix shift. In, in, in the deaths in 2021 from old to young. So in, the, in, in 2020, the 500,000 people that died excessively were mostly old. You go roll forward in the vaccine rollout and it shifts to younger people dying at an alarmingly uh, higher rate. And so 
you know, we we have evidence all over the place. And at this point, the we have evidence of the crime. What I'm shocked at is the uh, fact that the mainstream media still is blacking this all out. And uh, the good news is there seems to be word of mouth. And more and more people, because the vaccine doesn't work, aren't getting boosters because, you know, a, 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 a typical rational person doesn't keep getting something that doesn't work. Although there are a lot of people that still do it because they're, it's become part of their self-identity and their religion. I call them COVIDians. Yeah, their, their critical thinking skills essentially have evaporated. But with respect, to, with respect to the uh, fall of 2021, I think it was. Right. That, it, that insurance mortality, all-cause mortality data. I think you were the one, I believe you were, the one that brought that information to the forefront. I mean, there was others well, that took it up, but I thought it was you that initially identified that. Well, there was a reporter in January of um, uh, 2021, uh, Margaret Menge. So we were on the lookout for something. And in January 2nd or 3rd, she uh, is in Indiana and she was on a Chamber of Commerce conference call listening to a uh the one america ceo scott davison who didn't know what he was saying because he's he's not a public company he's a he's a private co- private insurance company he you know let the cat, cat out of the bag and said they were seeing 40 percent rise in all-cause mortality especially amongst the young uh working age folks and that's 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 when i started to really uh monitor the insurance results and sure enough i mean 40 percent is around the number in the second half of 21 um and then we we looked at the cdc data as well before they hit it and we saw depending upon the uh the age group it was around 40 percent all-cause mortality um but when we, what, the smoking gun for us is when we broke it down by age group and we saw that into the fall of 2021, there was a uh, uh, that millennial uh, deaths, excessive deaths, rose to a new high in the fall, and the rate of change was such that it was it was a, a line where the slope was so steep that temporarily you could say it was August, September, October. That's when the mandates hit. You could say it wasn't you know this was an anomaly that had to be due to. In my, in my humble opinion, the mandate and the jab. Um, they, they try to explain it away by saying, well, you know, there's, you know, lockdowns cause uh, deaths of despair, suicides, drugs and alcohol, and people missing their cancer screenings. Well, you know, in a three month time frame, uh, we went from like 40 to 50% excess mortality in the summer to 84% excess m- mortality uh, into the fall for the millennial age group, which represented about 61,000 people between March of 21 and, and February of 22, 61,000 excessive deaths in that age group represents a Vietnam war in one year for that age group. That's, yeah. that's what occurred. Yeah. And these, and look, this, these are ages 25 to 44. You're, you, you know, you shouldn't be dying at that age unless it's, it's accidental or, or self-induced via suicide or, you know, drug abuse. And yeah. You can't you can't tell me that everyone decided in a three month time frame to uh, all commit suicide and overdose on drugs. It makes no sense. Yeah. And that that index or that that uh, piece of data, the all cause mortality is probably one of the most important facts that you can analyze. And that seems to have been manip- manipulated or fraudulently manipulated out of the data of the initial trials of the jab trials. And of course, is removed from the, the, the federal data. It's just gone. You cannot find it. 
So I'm wondering, or it's, it's just, they, they mislabel things. I mean, this was one of the biggest pieces of fraud that I perceived out of the whole mess is that when, was, I think it was the Pfizer trial, they absolutely, any, they, they identified the events that happened, but they miscategorized them. They, they did not categorize them and associate them with the vaccine conveniently, all the deaths, all the side effects, just miscategorized. So that was removed from it. But, but from your perspective, has there been any other supporting uh, evidence since you brought that to the forefront, other insurance companies, other funeral homes, stocks, or business, the increase in business that they've been doing during that time? So in, into Q1, uh, we saw um, continued excess mortality and a rise in disability in the insurance companies and funeral home company results were good as well. Into Q2, the insurance companies are um, playing games right now where mm -hmm. they're re releasing reserves, they're re increasing pricing. So it doesn't look as bad, but it's still not good. The, the funeral home companies are still seeing growth above what they thought they'd be seeing. They thought they'd be returning the trend line and they're still getting year over year growth. You gotta remember their year, year over year growth is versus 2021. So they shouldn't be growing. Excess deaths at funeral homes shouldn't be, and these are same store sales, not via acquisition. So these are same store sale comparables year over year. And both the funeral home companies that I, I looked at for Q2 um, grew same store sales between two and 3%, which you get to remember is, is, is comparable to Q2 of 2021. They shouldn't, it should be collapsing 20, 30% and it's not. So- yeah. There, and there, I think there was another statistic that I remember reading that the, the demand for child caskets exploded. I haven't verified that yet, but it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me. I want to go back to something you mentioned that really got me. I was using the fraud word uh, pretty liberally in the fall of 2021 in regards to Pfizer. And as soon as I saw that the FDA wanted to hide the data for 75 years, that's that's all I needed to see for fraud. That's prima facie evidence on its face of cover up. You know, this the way a drug trial works. And, you know, this normally. And again, the all cause mortality endpoint. This is something we need to talk about. Normally, uh, if you're a single product biotech company and you go to the FDA and you do a clinical trial and you fail the all cause mortality endpoint, the drug does not get approved. I mean, at the end of the day. There's a bet, you know, if the bet, if the risk is higher than the benefit, th this thing doesn't get approved. The all-cause mortality endpoint for the Pfizer vaccine, we got when, when they touted its effectiveness, they kind of conveniently hid that data point from everybody. Mm -hmm. Came out in a FOIA request in the fall, and we found out that, you know, the all-cause and again, the trial was only 28 days. This is also very just unprecedented. So within in 28 days, um, there were something like 23 uh, deaths in the vaccine group and 17 in the placebo group, which gives all-cause mortality excess of 23%. It, it should not have been approved just on that alone. That's fraud, in my humble opinion. Yeah, and then the, the other component that uh, was implemented is that I think if the 28 days, it was, the trial was supposed to go on for six months or even longer, I don't recall, but they, they immediately, relatively quickly, eliminated the placebo, the, the placebo group. And Correct. Shockingly, 
most people don't realize this. They had a true placebo. I don't know why they did a true placebo because in vac previous vaccine trials, it's always done with another vaccine to conceal the, the damage it's doing. But they actually used a true saline placebo. But they, they, it, it was a moot issue because they eliminated. Was it at the twenty-eight day level? I, it was. Uh, it, 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 was shortly, it was shortly after the twenty-eight days. They, 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 you know, they they claimed well the, because the vaccine's so effective morally, we can't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> be we can't not do this. Yeah. So yeah. there was a moral argument that you know <laughs> you can't make this up. Yeah, it, it's it's right out of a science fiction novel. It really is yeah. dystopian science fiction novel. It's like, oh. and. And you know, I think you you're probably very familiar with Brooke Jackson, the Ventavia whistleblower, who yeah, she, she's she currently litigation, so, isn't she? What's that? I thought she was suing the. Uh... Oh, she she is, but she was. The reason we didn't hear from her earlier is she blew the whistle right during the trial. She saw that they were in her. Um, she was overseeing one thousand patients of the forty four thousand. All of her patients were unblinded. So you know, you know. In a scientific study, unblinding is the no-no um, because all sorts of biases can be introduced. And you know, one of the major ones is you come in to the doctor and you say, "Oh, I'm not feeling well." And the doctor goes, looks at your chart, sees that you got the vaccine, says, "Well, you're vaccinated, so I'm not going to test you for COVID because you probably don't have it." Boom. That's how you that's how you commit the fraud. Um, and if you if and she blew the whistle, she was fired immediately. Somehow somehow she went to the FDA and somehow. <laughs> within, hours. within hours within hours within hours and then um then she was uh we call it the rope dope she basically was you know working with the fda in a whistleblower lawsuit and they kept delaying it delaying it delaying it until finally she realized because when you're in a lawsuit like that you have to remain quiet until the trial so they were literally just kept kick, kicking the can down the road, delaying it every uh, six months. And she, that, she felt morally obligated to come out finally. And she has. Do you know the update on the current status of her litigation? No, but I, I do know that one of the biggest findings from that is FISA argued that, yeah, even though we. Um, oh, yes. That came we out. Committed, yeah, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> even though we committed fraud, the government knew about it, so we're okay. It's not I, fraud. I, <laughs> we can't be prosecuted because the government knew. <laughs> yeah, so the government knew. And and, and then again, um, why is this not the biggest headline in the mainstream media? It's just, it's been buried. Only those of us in the echo chamber that are on top of this issue seem to know this. It's sad. It's a sad commentary. It's, it's, it's what, super what, sad. Rule, rule of law is just disappearing. Well, it, well it, actually, it, it's that control, absolute control of the media that just funnels everything down to what they want their their views to, to be heard on so sad sad indeed so uh, any any other updates and data that you have uh, uh, come upon recently that supports what we all know to be true yeah so let's talk about the disability data oh yeah um, that's right that's a good one this is this is super important and I think we're going to find as tragic as, you know, um, the, the worst adverse event, which is death. There are some things worse than death, which mm -hmm. are life altering disabilities that make your life unlivable. And those who live with you have to take care of you. And it, the impacts to society are, are you know, way worse than a, a sudden death. Um, and we're going to be talking about the disabled because there's more, way more of them than there are the, the acute deaths. 
So let's go over what we discovered. So my my um, my partner, uh, who was a ex Wall Street insurance analyst, discovered that uh, there's a federal database, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. And the good news about them is they don't have any skin in this game. They just they they do a household survey every month. Okay, and it's part of the you know every month we get the employment numbers that comes from them, and they do a, a bunch of different questions some of which are in regards to disability, where they ask eight different questions, which essentially come down to this. Are you disabled and, or is anybody in your household disabled of working age? And that number was running around for the prior five years to 2021, anywhere between 29 and 30 million. It's now basically 33 million and growing uh, significantly since 2021. And it really started to take off May, June of 2021. I've had, I have some PhD physicists who've you know, done some statistical analysis and they're saying that it's, um, it's almost a four standard deviation above the norm and, and the, slope of, the slope of it, the rate of change is alarming. So I don't have the graph to show you, but it was going like this up and down, up and down. And then 2021, like straight this. up. So, yeah. So so we've increased the disabled by 10%. And that's, and again, this is a survey. And people, my, my naysayers will say, well, you know, there's a delay in, 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 in social security claims for disability. I go, this has nothing to do with claims. This is self-identification. This is not tied to a doctor's note or getting on disability. This is just someone saying voluntarily that they're disabled. And it's, again, it's a statistical survey. It's it's a sampling. They take a sample of, they make phone calls every month. They talk to you on the phone, you answer questions, and they impute the numbers from, from that statistically. So the number of disabled could be way, way more. You know, it, we're, just, we're just scratching the surface here. But, but the signal is the, you know, the change, the rate of change, the standard deviation above the norm, which is four. And if you, you know, you know math, three standard deviations is crazy. Four is like, wow. So this is what's going on. And I think if you want to ask yourself, why is there a labor shortage? I think this explains a lot. And you multiply this globally and you, and you know, they talk about supply chains and inability to hire people. This is definitely going on. And I think a large part of the inflation we're seeing is due to people not able to work. Yes, indeed. So since this data was compiled from a federal database, it would seem that as this information comes to light, there's going to be significant moves to change that so that it doesn't continue to. Well, well, what's interesting is, you know, the CDC, the CDC has been complicit in this fraud all along, along with the FDA and the NIH, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. I'm hoping they don't have any skin in the game. They're just. But this they're is, still federal. They, they're on. They're probably they can be controlled by the same. System. Well, they, 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 they certainly could be controlled, but I, I think they'll be pushed back. Uh, as opposed to, com, you know, complicit cover up. I think that hopefully this data stays out there longer than it, the CDC data has. So I'm hopeful that this won't become compromised. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned the disabilities. I have been in this battle, I think would be the best way to describe it, since the mid 90s. Uh, and when I graduated medical school in 85, the incidence of Autism in the general population was like one in 10,000. And since I did not see 10,000 patients a year, uh, most physicians don't. They may, you know, individual different patients. I never saw an autistic patient until 
the 90s when in 1986, they had the, the, the Vaccine uh, Indemnification Act passed that essentially insulated all vaccine manufacturers from liability. So they got to work and they just started cranking out all the new vaccines. And you know, we started getting an explosion in the 90s. So shortly after that, we did see this incredible rise in autism. Uh, and I treated hundreds and hundreds of autistic kids when I was practicing in Chicago in the, in the last century and was able to help a lot. But, you know, why did we not see them when I first got out of school? We, you know, it was because they increased in the vaccine. So that is sort of the hidden, it's hidden in plain sight, uh, tried to describe a way, but essentially, you know, they, they say, well, it was just undiagnosed previously. That, that's a bunch of hogwash. It, you cannot miss these people from a mile away. I mean, they have very specific characteristic behaviors that you just don't see anywhere else. And, and you know, once you've seen a number of autistic people, you know what the behavior is. So um, there, we've got all these, pay, the, the, the number of, I think the most recent statistic, it, it's more prevalent in boys, but it's like one in 30 down to, one in, from one in 10,000 to one in 30, one in 30. And Stephanie Sennett, who's, who's a pretty brilliant scientist from MIT, she project, has projected in the past that within the few years, it's going to be one in two. One in two. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So and this is just autism from the traditional true vaccines. Right. This is right. nothing related to As far as I know, I don't think the jab, COVID jab, causes autism. Not made down the road. We've only been exposed to it for a lot much more than a year, you know, for most people. So how do we know? Well, maybe it's coming up on two years, but we don't know if it causes autism, but my guess is we probably would have seen some by now, but you know, it causes other disabilities that, are, that seem to be equally as distressing. So you combine that, it's just not look pretty for the future of this country when you've got all those people coming down with autism for traditional things and, and the other ones. Don't. But I think the one silver lining, and I'd like to get your take on this that I see from my perspective is that the, the adoption rate for jabbing the five month or six month old to five year olds is is like sink low single digits under five percent right that is very very encouraging that that even though there 30 percent of the country is likely hypnotized that we still have that low adoption rate that parents finally woke up and hopefully they're going to wake up to the whole vaccine fraud all of them are frauds every single one same uh I, I absolutely agree. So, you know, before this journey, you know, I didn't know that statistic you you shared about the 1986 Indemnification Act. Mm -hmm. And now I do. And it's interesting now, because I'm an analyst and I'm like, hold on. 86, I was born in 67. I got a few shots. Mm -hmm. And so my mind starts going. And, uh, you know, you mentioned autism started to take off after that because they started to because of the indemnification they were able to like put more and more vaccines into the initial schedules and you know parents don't know any better because it's kind of silent the doctors the doctors have monetary incentive to do this and next thing you know instead of i, I don't know maybe i got like four shots you know as a child in 60 67 and how many do they get now uh Dr. McCullough, is it like I, 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 I'm probably off, but I think it's up to 71. It might have been yeah. like 18 so, when you were you're you're at, at that time. So it's it's increased dramatically. Yeah. So 71 versus 18 for me. Um, 
So you mentioned autism. Let's also mention some other strange things. This is where my mind goes. Uh, you know, millennials tend to have a lot of testosterone problems. I mean, I'm, I'm 55 and I don't have any, but I, I know a lot of young people that have to go on TRT all of a sudden, uh, testosterone replacement. There's all sorts of things going on with this, this group that didn't really happen in my age group. So we, I think we're going to find years and years from now, there's been a whole host of health issues other than autism that have gone on from these vaccines that compromise things that we didn't see. And that's what, you know, is going on with the COVID jabs. There's all sorts of, um, you know, we hear about the cancer uh, reignitions. There's all sorts of things we just don't know, but they seem to be increasing at an alarming rate among the vaccinated very suddenly in my friend group, a lot of heart issues in my friend group for individuals that I know uh, are having heart issues between ages of 30 and 50. Uh, <laughs> the prime age where you should expect it. <laughs> you're right. And, 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 and I, I, I hang out with people that don't drink. So, you know, it's even, it's even worse because they, they don't, they're not, they're not drinkers and smokers. So it's, and they're pretty healthy. So something's going on. Yeah. And they're getting sunshine. They live in Maui. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I so hopefully you because you can avail yourself to this therapy, which is essentially free. It's just to be outside around solar noon for about an hour to get the the exposure to the sun uh, rays, which are not only UVB, but there's other rays like infra, in, near infrared. And there's recent studies that have shown that just exposure to about 25 minutes a day around that time will radically increase your testosterone levels. Well, you know, it's it's interesting you say that I. I've read, uh, I haven't heard that statistic uh, um, in particular, but you know, I, I work East Coast time, so my day ends around 11. I usually mm -hmm. go out on my lanai and do some 30 minute Wim Hof breathing in the sun. Perfect. Yeah. So I'm getting it. I, I, I bet my, my, I have never measured my testosterone because I, yeah, because as I recall, there's, there's no uh, daylight savings times in Hawaii. No, no. no. Yeah. So no, 11 o'clock is 11 o'clock. I get the vitamin D and all the other good stuff. So it's, it's, you know, I did not get COVID until uh, July 4th and my immune system and my health has been quite spectacular ever since I changed my lifestyle many, many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. The most important thing is just not to swallow vitamin D unless you absolutely have to, but no one living in Maui should be swallowing vitamin D. No, no, no. that's just insane. It's not, it's, you know, I've been a big fan of vitamin D for decades, but you know, I just don't advocate that. Just get into the sun. So, you know, I wanted to share one thing with you because you may not be aware of this because, you, you know, vaccines wasn't a focus of yours. But one of the things that really got me livid was when they came out with the hepatitis B vaccine for infants, for infants. Right. Right. The, the, the risk exposure for an infant for hepatitis is parental drug use <laughs> <laughs> or having sex or probably the biggest risk is getting infected from the mother, but they could easily screen the mother for hepatitis B infection. Simple right. blood test, inexpensive, but they refuse to do it. Instead, they're going to vaccinate everyone for hepatitis B on the premise that they have might have a risk 20 years down the road, at which point those vaccines don't really work that well at all. It's just, it was, it's shocking how they got away with that, <clears throat> justified that as an excuse, and, they just, and the public took it. The public took it and they get the worst thing is they give it on day one, the day they are born, they give it to them. It's one of the shots they do. The, the, the whole, the whole medical system, unfortunately, is incentivized to make money 
and profits. And it's it's been going on for years. And you know, to your point that there's good news that people are finally not. Yeah, what do you think? What's your take on that? Did you see, see this aside, a silver lining in the Yeah, I think this is exposing a lot of what's been going on. And, you know, here's something that a lot of people don't know if you're not on Wall Street. There was this uh, company, I think it was either Gilead or Genentech. Forgive, I don't know which one it was, but they came up with a drug that cured hep C, hepatitis C. Cured it. Now, let's, let's, let's talk about what happened. The stock took off, but then quickly people realized, well, there's only 80,000 people in the U.S. with hep C. They'll cure it. Oh, this drug cures it. It doesn't address the symptoms where we can have a cash flow for the life of the patient. Uh, the stock didn't like that. And so Goldman Sachs and a couple other research houses wrote that uh, as a business model, it's better to um, treat the symptom than cure it because you get a, a sustainable cash flow. There you go. That, I mean, that was written down on Wall Street in a report. And I'm, I don't think they knew what they were saying. They were just analyzing it and they said it. But yeah, it, that, that's the model. Business perspective, that's true. It's, you can't deny that. It's, it is, it, 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 if that's your goal, increasing revenues, then there's no, that is the best strategy. But that's not, it's, it's not the goal of health. Right, right. It's good. Not, so what we're, what we're looking at is a whole system designed to treat symptoms rather than cure something. And, you know, this has been what Western medicine has become. It's, uh, it's pills and, and, and uh, injections to treat symptoms rather than, you know, I, as I get again, as I, as I get involved in this journey, I learn more and more. You know, there was there was a whole uh, way of doing medicine back in the 30s before the petroleum industry took over and started issuing drugs of holistic medicine and, you know, using different methods to, to cure something rather than treat the symptom. Well, I, I just finished a chapter in my new book, and the, the first chapter is, addresses that. It's really the transition from natural, the, the, essentially the 19th century medicine, where they didn't, haven't yet evolved into what's called scientific medicines or trust the science. Right. There was a really a conflict between the two sects and they, the, the, the average uh, salary of a physician was relatively low, mechanics made more. And uh, they had no prestige, so they were really hurting to, you know, to do well. And essentially, Rockefeller came in in 1910 in Carnegie with a collection report, and that just took off like a wildfire. They gained control of the entire system. And, and Rockefeller had some uh, conflicting or self-interest because he had, obviously was the wealthiest guy in the world. I don't know if you know, Standard Oil, owned 90, he had 95% of the oil reserves. Standard Oil, 95%. It was an absolute monopoly. Even yeah. worse, but the, we have the equivalent in 21st century, and that's Google, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is pretty similar. 95% of the search engine results in the whole world are from Google. It's, it's a pretty severe comparison. But anyway, they, they, they transitioned. So it went back to about 1910 is when the, the transition started. And it's, it's gotten worse every year, and it's just exemplified by the last two years. So, so – do, do you perceive, so you, you're in agreement that this uh, lack of adoption by the parents of the, the, the children, the, the infants, the, the small children is a good sign and that they may likely, I can't wait to see the stats on what happened, what's happening to the normal childhood vaccine schedule and that parents are starting to refuse those because 
I sure hope they are. At least they woke up to this fraud. I'm hopeful that what they've done here is a bridge too far and it's exposed the whole system and a system that's been hidden because it's been little pockets of activity. This is a 550 million doses administered to the you know people in the U.S. And then I don't know was how many doses, billions of doses worldwide. And I think um, as this scandal uh, collapses and unfolds, and again I don't know the timeline of that. Um, it's gonna it's going to remake a lot of our institutions, and I think that's a good thing. And I think you know people like yourself and others who've been kind of out in the wilderness are going to be vindicated. I mean, I didn't know about the 86 schedule. I didn't know. I, I mean, I'll never take another vaccine again or a flu shot. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, the, new, the new flu shots are, I just read a post from Malone and sub, Subsec today. They, they're coming out. They're integrating the new flu jab or flu shot with the COVID jab. Oh, and that is not special. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the new one. So I'm, I'm curious. We didn't really dive into the fraud that you exposed and became quite quite popular for in our community. I'm wondering if you've got any consequences of that because you know fraud is a pretty specific word and, and unless you're really careful, there's some legal uh, implications as a result of making that claim. So I wonder if, if you've been, I mean, you seem to be pretty solid, but it, it's a word that most people refrain from using in the legal community. Well, so I, I decided to, um, you know, I'm an investor mm-hmm. and that was my profession. And there's lots of precedents of people in the investment world using the F word when talking about corporations, and they then bet their own capital against that corporation by going short. I'm not involved in shorting Pfizer or Moderna because I didn't want to get, in, I didn't want anybody to come after me for that. But I can First Amendment speech. I can say whatever I want, uh, and they, they can come after me. But I mean. Well, you know, good luck. Well, let's let's hope let's hope that holds up. First Amendment has been taking a lot of hits lately, a lot of hits, <laughs> because it's perverted through the use of the private corporations that, that the government that they don't have to follow, but the government does. Well, I also I also think because of the media control, what I've been saying and doing is it's gotten out there, and, and a lot of my friends on Wall Street have seen me, and it's word of mouth and and what have you, and my my um, I think suing me. Uh, and trying to shut me up would only elevate the story. Yeah, so I think they're just kind of like, oh, let him do what he's doing. Who cares? So have you seen any impact from that story going out? Um, you know, some I've had some friends who are Covidians, you know, ghost me. Um, <laughs> you know, I, and that, you know, I, I, I'm at the point now in my knowledge of what's going on where I'm starting to become quite happy not associating with people that, don't even critically think anymore. And th- through this journey, uh, I'm making new friends, new connections. And um, there's a, uh, this crisis, from every great evil comes a great good. And one of the goods for me, I felt isolated. Now I, I have a community and I have like-minded individuals and I'm partnering with people to do different things. It's, it's, and our value system is already linked because we already know what's going on. So I don't have to join in business with someone and try to figure out who they are over the a three-year period we already know how we think so it's it's kind a great, of a self yeah it's a great filter unquestionable yeah so what's Absolutely. on your, what's on your plate what, what, what any, any projects that you're working on that you hope to? so so we're working on the ons data from the uk uh, i have some phd physicists um in europe working on that with me 
Um, we're going to hopefully be putting out some graphs and charts showing that the UK is seeing 10 to 20 percent excess mortality um, ever since the vaccine rollout. They have better data than the U.S. They actually have vaccine uptakes and we're, we're going to hopefully be able to statistically link vaccine uptake with excess mortality taking off. Um, we're also, my insurance partner and I uh, did contact and write letters to 100 insurance companies, um, alerting them as to what we saw. Only about 25 responded and got on some calls with us and, and some of the doctors with different uh, narratives. And um, there really hasn't been any movement in the insurance industry to try to figure out what's going on. So we're thinking of uh, leaking that letter soon, doing a national campaign. Um, we've been talking to some senators, showing some of the data. So we're, you know, I'm not just showing things. I'm trying to take action and move things along and make people in positions of power take note. So that's what we're trying to do right now. Okay. And I'm just curious personally what your preparation plans are and timing of what you think might result of all this craziness in, with respect to the financial collapse, new bioweapons, supply chain shortages, you know, all these variables are going to come to fruition at some point and collide together. It's right. sort of a poly crisis, you know, that's, that they're projecting. So, well, yeah. So I think, you know, people ask me for investment advice. I'm loath to give it, but I will say this. Um, even though there's inflation, um, if financial assets are going to collapse, don't worry about inflation. Um, it's probably a good idea to have some of your portfolio, and I'm not going to tell you what percentage, in cash to take advantage of um, the blood in the streets scenario that's coming so that when everyone's selling, you're doing what JP Morgan of old did, you're buying. So that's not a bad idea. Um, people say, oh, I, I can't have... Or even you further know, back, the Rothschilds. In, the Rothschilds, Napoleon, right. Napoleon time. <laughs> right. And, and I think what we're going to see, we're going to see, um, we get the midterms coming up. Um, the people in power are definitely afraid because, um, you know, crimes have been committed. So I suspect shenanigans. Uh, I mean, monk, they're trying to get monkeypox going. That doesn't seem to be capturing the imagination of the people. They may try to. They're trying, though. They're really they're trying. trying. They're trying. They're trying. <laughs> I, I suspect, um, you know, good old fashioned war. War usually, uh, you know, takes care of a lot of problems. China. The thing we need to worry about is China. China has a demographic problem. They're, they, they, they're in a de demographic decline that started in 2020. Uh, they're over indebted and they're literally imploding as we speak. Mm. And a lot of these COVID lockdowns you see in the last couple of months are nothing more than covering up bank runs. Mm. So China, China is where I'm most concerned because one of their biggest fears, and it has been since they started growing in the early 2000s, is their own population. Mm. And as long as they kept people you know, fed and getting jobs, they didn't have to worry. If there's an economic collapse, what traditionally most countries do is they create an outside demon that unites everybody and create a problem outside of their own, you know, their own problems. So China, if I'm China and I'm, you know, running the show and I'm, you know, an evil person, I would start something with Taiwan just to get everybody, you know, focused outside of the internal issues in China. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because actually there's a, scientific engineer he used to work with Google. I think his name is Kai-Fu Lee, and I've interviewed him in the past. He wrote a few books, uh, obviously Chinese, and uh, he, he was projecting that China would be surpassing the U.S. in the not-too-distant future, especially in disciplines like AI. 
but uh, that didn't integrate the economics that you just described because that could seriously be uh, a, a real issue that would prevent them from implementing that. It, well, this is the kind. This is, I've, you, you're, 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 you and I are similar in age. You remember in the, in the 80s and 90s, everyone said Japan was going to overtake the U.S. Well, Japan had a demographic uh, bust and they collapsed and had they've had the lost 20 uh, yeah. two, the last few decades. China is just hitting that now. So demographics yeah. are one of the most powerful influences. And China, you, you know, Larry Fink's a good businessman, but he's going into China at exactly the wrong time. He's top ticking China. China's done, um, in my humble opinion. <laughs> that is interesting. I have not heard that before, but the logic seems pretty uh, solid. It's, it's, a, it's a contrarian viewpoint, but it's yeah. backed by data. Yeah, yeah. Gotta love data. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been an absolute delight. I can't thank you enough for your bravery and courage. Oh, one question is, sure. are you concerned for your personal safety? Because, you know, you're really putting yourself out there and I applaud you for, the, for doing that. But, you know, the, the information you're bringing out, you're, you're a target. And I'm, and I'm wondering if you take any special precautions. Um, so I've been offered security. Um, I, and I live on Maui. So the good news is, you know, this is an island. I have a very deep community here um, and I've been offered security. I haven't taken it yet. I've been offered um, all sorts of places. If something happens and I start to feel unsafe, I got safe houses to go to. I have people, I don't have, I don't have weapons, but friends have weapons. So I'm, I'm kind of just, you know, letting, I'm feeling into it, but I'm not worried right now and I'm not traveling in, you know, domestically. So Oh, good. That's good. And no, and no one knows where I live. I have a PO box, so my address is. That's a there. real good strategy for a lot of other reasons too. Yeah, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have CNN stalking you. <laughs> no, they don't. No, uh, no one's going to be able to find where I live. That's which great. Is good. That's good. Yeah. That, I, so I, I, I'm breathing a sigh of relief for you because I was really concerned. But that that's good strategy. It's solid, and you got to you got to have a community. You got to have support in case something happens. So good. Yay. Good. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate your concern. All right. Well, you keep up the great work and I look forward to what you're bringing out. We, we so desperately need people with your insider insights into the financial industry because it's such a powerful contributor to what's going on. And it's, and it's not, as I understand it, it's not just a, a grab for more and more wealth and assets. It's just because they can essentially leverage that to, to purchase that or acquire more power and control, which it seems to be the fundamental motivation for why they're doing this power and control. Well, well also think about this. If, if, if you are a central banker and a politician over the last 12 years, that's created this bubble, you don't want to be blamed for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't it be nice to have something to blame and also then control the populations. That's why COVID was so perfect. It's a yeah, system yeah. of control. And, you know, an scapegoat, an scapegoat and, and, and an excuse to print more money, all, all, you know, to keep the, the thing going. It's perfect. <laughs> Gift. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for helping us get more information so we can understand the reality and the truth of what's going on and what's been happening to the population and, and, and how to prepare for it in the future. So I really appreciate all your help. You got it. Thank you so much, Dr. McCullough. All right. Bye now.